Welcome back to the 127th edition of the Parrot Podcast. Uh, for the second week running, Hamish is unavailable for recording. Uh, this time, he's a victim of the uh, flooding out west, I believe. So, uh, you know, best wishes to him and uh, his uh, young family as well. I think he's staying at his sister's place. Is that right, boys? I think that's what he said, yeah. Yeah, so um, we wish him all the best and hope that there's no significant harm to their properties. Um, but, yeah, back for another edition of the Parrot Podcast to talk plenty of footy from the weekend. An absolutely cracking NRL game. Here to talk that with me is Bertie. Hey, how's it going? Very good, mate. And Ham? Yep. Good, fellas. All right, let's get into it. Uh, So we had the round two victory over the Storm and plenty of other NRL stuff and junior stuff to get through. So we'll start with uh, the juniors, Ham. Uh, Very busy weekend for the juniors in all three grades. Uh, Uh, You know, had to use a lot of uh, mileage to get around to them. Yeah, so, um, you know, huge cracking games, all-time games. And, of course, we are memeing very badly because – uh, every single game outside of the NRL was washed out on the weekend. So I'm um, starting with Thursday. I think it was all, it was when the junior representatives were called off to be rescheduled at a further date. And then after that, both Flegg and uh, New South Wales Cup were relocated from Ringrose Park to McCready Park out at Guildford and then called off on the day itself on Saturday. So we went from having an absolutely jam-packed Saturday um, with some huge, huge matches in the context of the junior representatives and the first hitouts of the season for uh, Flag and Cup um, to having zero games, thanks to that torrential downpour that has just gone on for a week now, which has thankfully uh, cleared up momentarily as we record. I think we've actually got a hint of clear skies on Tuesday afternoon, or Tuesday evening rather. But that takes us to the NRL game, where it was a uh, game of the week, and it's going to be a low-key game of the season contender, I think, fellas, uh, given the conditions. But the uh, Parramatta Eels 16 defeat the Melbourne Storm 12 at Bankwest Stadium on Thursday evening. Um, as with the rest of the week, the weather was absolutely atrocious. It was just pouring. Um, and to Bankwest credit, the ground held up phenomenally. Um, with, I think there was just puddles under one of the goalposts. So try scorers for the Melbourne Storm were Raymond Smith and Justin Olam, with Ryan Pappenhusen going two from two off the kicking tee. And for the Eels, it was a massive Mike Acevo double, with Junior Polo also crashing over for their three tries. Mitchell Moses was two from three from the boot. Um, and yeah, got, got us to that four-point win. So boys, where do we want to start with this one? Because this was a brilliant game. Uh, from opening kickoff to the final second of the game, it was just, to me, that was one of the best games I've ever seen um, from both teams. Like, it's just a great game of rugby league. I don't think enough has been talked about it, so hopefully we do. But I could spend an hour talking about this game, I reckon. Just from- there, there is so much to go through because the, the technical quality of this game from both teams in the conditions is something that I've never actually seen before. We, I know that people sort of circle back to that famous Sharknado game out at uh, Cronulla, which was against the Rabbitohs, I believe, as a, a very good wet weather footy game, and it was. But both teams here were attacking on the edges fast, downhill, second phase play, cutout balls, all sorts of different attacking shapes, and they were doing it as if it was perfectly dry conditions. Yeah, just the with and without the ball, the intensity from both teams, you know, and just I think it, you know, it can be summed up all with Clinton Gutherson, you know, just the, the amount of work that he did to stop Four or five tries. So he was he was he was underneath uh, a sofa Solomona and uh, former Kimi Eels Kimika. prospect Tui Kami Kamika, and he also punched the ball out of Ryan uh, Cameron Munster's hands. Uh, and there might have been another one. There was at one point Brandon Smith tried to crash over and he didn't get over the line, but he was turned back by Gufferson as well. I think there was also the one where he caught the chip and the, chase from, from Josh Adakar. Yep, down the uh, Melbourne Storm's left edge. So, so he, you know, he, he, for a guy that didn't post mind blowing, uh, 
stats on the uh, on the sheet itself, you know, eighteen runs, one hundred and eleven meters, is um you know rather poor return on a per meter per run basis, but it just shows you that stat don't tell the full picture because he was um like the difference between the two teams, not a difference, the difference. Yeah, you know, I just touching on the stats there. Uh, Melbourne had fifty five percent possession, ran four hundred meters more than us. Mm-hmm. What else, you know? Time of possession was five minutes, five minutes plus in their favour, as you'd expect given a 10% uh, swing in possession. Um, they had a slight edge in both penalties and uh, ruck indiscretions. So Which the, is amazing. Yeah, well, Incredible for, that that is able yeah, to happen. Given, given the context of some of their ruck work, it is frustrating. And um, the, the 10,400 fans that were in attendance, including us, their boys, were very vocal in letting the referees know about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the only thing that we beat them on was, or two things we beat them on, was um, completions percent. Correct. We had eighty-eight percent. They had about eighty percent, and tries scored. And that's probably the big one there, isn't it? The points scored will sort of um, almost always get you home unless you've had an extra man on the field. <laughs> so um, having the the scoreboard ascendancy is a a massive win for the, for the Eels, obviously, but. Just the way we approach this game, and I know Melbourne technically weren't full strength because they were missing Harry Grant and the lock. Uh, Finucane. Uh But obviously the Eels well under full strength themselves. Uh, no uh, Wanga Blake out on the right edge. Uh, Ryan Madison injured three quarters for this contest, which we'll get to shortly because there's plenty to talk about regarding that incident. Uh, and um, Michael Jennings. Oh, yeah, Michael Jennings under suspension. And even just stuff like Bryce Cartwright, who was a inside runner to either start or be a, a featured player off the bench. Um, so the Eels were not nowhere near full strength themselves, but both teams weren't making excuses heading into this contest. Um, Wanga Blake news broke on the day of that he was out for calf injury for four to six weeks. And uh, BA sort of threw a bit of a curveball by putting Murata near Corey into the centres. He had the option to call up Hayes Dunster from the 19th man uh, slot, or he had another option to, you know, put uh, someone like Will Smith into the back line and then reshuffle the back line around that. But he chose Murata Niakore. And I don't know about you, Ham, but when I was speaking to the people around me uh, in in uh, Bay 215, I think, I could get that wrong though, there was a lot of trepidation. It was like, oh my goodness, you know, you're putting a back row in against the Storm. Craig Bellamy's going to, you know, just scheme, scheme him and, and sort of isolate him and, and pick on him. And instead what we got was a dominant display from Niakore. Would you say that's true, buddy? Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just the weather conditions or, you know, he's fresh up. Like, it, he just seems like um, he was a natural born center, like, in terms of well, his um, he, 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 he was a center when he joined the Eels. Yeah. He was a hybrid center back rower. And I will say this the Justin Olam matchup is a favorable one for Nia Corey because Olam is a north south power runner. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, he can obviously step, but he prefers to just, you know, bury his shoulders into the opposition defender. And in this case, that's, that is literally Murata's bread and butter as a guy that defends through the middle. In a giving in most given games, so they had a, a phenomenal back and forth, and Olam, you know, had a good game. And there was one point where he, he jacked Murata up with a, a good jam. But I feel like Murata, whenever he was given early ball against Olam, he either fended or stepped past him like really well. And on top of that, he defended strongly. Yeah, huge game for Murata there. You know, coming in cold, I suppose you could say because yeah, first game, round one. That's right. Coming into and he hasn't played centre of Parramatta as far as I'm aware. Um, when he's coming through reserve grade, he's always a second rower at the at the very least. I think there might have might have been one game when we were Wenty there where he might have filled in. But as far as a named player in a list, he's been a back row or middle for us. Yeah, just 
ultimate ultimate professional. He's 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 been a professional since he come to the club, and that professionalism shone through on this game. It was just, I think BA knew what he was going to get from Murata, and um, the weather conditions definitely did help with uh, Olam not being able to test the sideline there. He's outside. But he just knew that put his faith in Murata and just knew he could get the job done. Which... And defending on the troublesome right edge as well, where we've had a lot of issues uh, in the past uh, between uh, Wanga and, and Blake. Well, like, I always say that, but it's Wanga, Blake, and Blake Ferguson. So saying between Wanga and Blake <laughs> is a, a bit of a misnomer there. But yes, and, and as we've sort of diagnosed on the past in the, in the podcast, it feels like when it's Wanga, Blake, and a different winger, or Blake Ferguson in a different centre, the issues don't completely evaporate, but they certainly are rectified to a large extent. And that seemed to be the case on Thursday night because the Melbourne Storm threw plenty down that edge, but outside of a, an arsy deflection from a Ryan Pappen using kick, they really didn't trouble him. Nah, not at all. Except for what in the play leading up to the try that the Storm, Storm scored as a forward pass, um, that play was just luck, and I still think that Olam was offside. Um, on the on second, the second deflection, from, yeah, from Pappenhausen. But anyway, I digress. Um, they didn't look like scoring, and they had their one, six, and seven, and you know, a, and um, an international caliber number nine. Like, yeah, that's for all, yeah. for all the talk that Harry Grant is their first choice nine. Brandon Smith is legitimately the best backup hook you could possibly have on any books. Yeah, you know, it was just that. Yeah, all of everything that's been said, it was just all heart from Parramatta, and then. You know, I think it's two very great halves after, you know, it's been three great halves in a row. Yeah, so obviously we had the atrocious start to the season in the first 40 minutes against Brisbane, but since then, the Eels remembered who they are as a team. And, you know, this is a game that was circled as a, a real trouble game for the Eels because it's the Melbourne Storm, it was going to be wet conditions, um, It you know, the sort of one that we drop so consistently, and yet here we are, 16-12 victors, in a in a manner which spoke towards being able to do that in the finals because that was a finals caliber game, and hundred percent. And I also just want to uh, point out Reed Marnie's uh, second consistent top level consistent performance, um, really scheming around the ruck. I really enjoyed. Uh, we did a, a sort of towards the back end of the first half where we had a few um, inside outside across the not really inside outside, but they were just across the ruck balls from our halves and our fullback there. They just got in got in close to the ruck. And there was a few times there where, you know, against lesser disciplined teams or less drilled teams yes. than the Storm, they, would, they just would have opened them up. Yeah, there, and, there's an element of, of scheming now to Reed's game that we've seen over the first two weeks where he's had some explosive offensive plays, like, you know, backing up for offloads and darting on a dummy half, which is awesome to see. But it's just the, the little details where he's uh, like forcing the A and B markers, or sorry, the, the markers themselves, to commit to him. And it's letting his, his middlemen and his edgemen get free runs into the defensive line. And it's that, that sort of stuff where you buy the extra half a second, that can make a difference down the track. And on top of that, he's brought back in a, you know, an acute kicking game. He's really helped Mitchell Moses in that capacity. Um, and Dylan too, who's taken on a greater share of the long kicking. And yeah, and on top of that is his usual you know, tile of self and defense. They're asking to play big. I mean, they play Will Smith as a lock against the Melbourne Storm. They they just backed Reed Money to go against one of the most dominant offensive packs in the competition, and he did. And he did it. Just yeah, again the same thing. Since he's come into first grade and first grade training, 
you know, when he first uh, started, I think he was, I'm not sure if they had development players back then, but he was sort of in that sort Reed, of range of a development player. Yeah, I think there were development slots, but Reed was a training trial player during that, in his first preseason. That's right. But you'd see Reedy, he'd stay back and do what you, what they consider extras. I don't really consider them extras because you're training and that's what you're training to do. But while the rest of the squad moved on to the sheds, you'd have Reedy out there practicing a kicking game, practicing his passing, practicing his running from dummy half. You know, and every I said it last week on the pod, every year we've gotten that just that little bit extra from Reedy. We knew what he could do. Everybody knew if they watched the uh, 20s when Reedy was The 2017 there. team where Reed was the dominant presence at dummy half, yeah. We, we, we knew what he could do. And then he just stripped his game back, put it down to just, I'm just going to be a good, well, it's going to sound really uh, R18, but a good servicing hooker. <laughs> uh, Working work in the corners of the ruck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, get the ball out to Mahavs, who, who are the dangerous players in the team. And let them do their thing. And there's a real connection right? between him and Junior at the moment, isn't there? They're, oh. they're really like playing some great ISO football against the opposing halves. With the 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 overs line that Junior ran the score that try is one of the most deceptive lines a big man has run in probably like the like last few years of the NRL. If you just watch the replay, he the the change in direction he does so late as the ball's on coming, and I, I don't want to invoke his name given recent news, but it's very similar to what Jared Hayne used to do. Um where he would he would move he'd run a line but move as the ball was in flight and the defenders already like committed to a certain defensive decision they've made and it sort of it leaves them flat footed and that's what he did against um it was Tyson Tyson Smoothie and uh Jerome Hughes Jerome Hughes yes that's right yeah and if you want to bring up a better example 2019 against the Broncos I was actually read again through that big cutout pass to the right hand side. And because just of the speed and accuracy of the pass, Mitchell Moses was able to sort of just move his body from left to right mm. and hit a hole rather than hitting a defender. Yeah, and it, it was beautiful. Um, that that try against Melbourne uh, for Junior was just the reward of, like, you know, consistent play. And then uh, yeah. that leads me to the other try scorer, obviously, who had a very big night. Um, one, Mike Acevo, who has uh, recently re-upped with the Eels for two years. Um, so two tries, two years. Two tries, two years. So imagine if, if he scored three. Imagine if he, three po- if he popped off against the storm. <laughs> um, Micah was phenomenal. Uh, he had one massive kick return. He ended up uh, NRL.com has him down for eighteen runs, one hundred and seventy-five meters. The one line break that I just mentioned off that kick return. Six Where he t- should have got to play a sin bin, but yeah, anyway. Well, well, we'll get the sin bin in the Melbourne Storm <laughs> shortly because there was a couple of incidents there, um, and six tackle breaks. Uh, and you know, and sound defense too down his edge. Um, Opacic is a, a very solid def- like defender, and he seems to have Micah on the same page, which is really encouraging. And Tom himself was pretty good this game too, but not not to derail the the Micah discussion. But we saw Micah score twice off kicks, and the the first of which was a very good effort. The second of which was like phenomenal. Like it was that's a season highlight reel there. The I mean, first credit to Mitchell Moses for putting up a kick that was contestable uh, in the first place. That bomb came down off ice. But the hustle that Micah showed to get 30 metres downfield to, to contest that kick in the first place, to then leap over Jennings and then beat three cover defenders, get the ball down, like that, that is as much... I was also as, going to say, don't forget that he was being run off the ball by Remus Smith very yes. deliberately. And I suppose Sean Lander have something to say about getting run off the ball in that game. The, the poor guy got <laughs> mugged in every short kick. But um, that was pure heart from Micah. 
I mean, that... look, a couple of years ago, Turbo scored a, a try exactly like that against Guffo. And yes. Been, they were, like, going crazy over for weeks, saying, oh, he's the number one fullback. Like, you know, what more? It's in the rain. Like, he's... like The, the, the degree of difficulty on that try for Micah was as high as it could be, couldn't it? The, yeah. the driving rain, it was in the final minutes of a an absolutely... In, like in flowing contests where every player on that on that park was gassed because of how fast and how physical that game was, and yet he still hustled downfield from forty meters out to get to the ball and then get over his opposing winger and then get past the cover defenders to score. Like that and is also, just insane. When you you know the physics of it, he's looking over his shoulder at it. That's a lot harder than yeah, looking track, straight up. That's at right, it. tracking the ball from a, a vast distance on the uh, against the hypotenuse. On that, you know, if you draw a triangle, you know, he's trying to track out where the ball's going to go. How can he get there in time? When does he like leave the ground to go into the air to contest it? And he got it all right. That, that it was just art. It was beautiful. And just on that, the the two kicks for Micah's tries, I think that's from the work from Joey. You know, oh, that that is clearly um, clearly Joey's influence because Dylan put the first one on a dime. And oh, that, it was just it was absolutely pin perfect kick. It got, it was just enough height to have the chases come through. It wasn't too big for it to be hanging around, but like, it was just, you know, Sivo did only had to run straight towards it. You know, that's, it's that little thing. And the same with Mitchell Moses, that was from 40, over 40 meters out. out. I think. Mm. And it's very easy to put in a nothing kick from that range yeah. to either, you know, overcook it and go for a 20 meter restart or quick kick it so far deep that there's an uncontestable, you know, catch uh, or, you know, give it a bit of a shank in the wet conditions and all of a sudden you're giving up or seeding uh, 20 plus metres of uh, territory. So yeah. he, he managed to hit it perfectly. And, you know, the adage is a kick is only because it's chase. And that was one of the better chases you're going to see in the modern game. And I think Moses, I think it was Moses, put up one early in the match too where Tom Mopicic was flying through. And instead of going for the ball, he went for the player, which I can understand because there's always a chance of a knock on and, smashing a, a winger as soon as they get the ball, it's it's a safe option. But if Tom looked up, I reckon he could have grabbed that above uh, George Jennings there, excuse me, and, you know, potentially put something on. So it wasn't only the one play from Mitchell. It was multiple times, and his kicking game, like every single kick that he put in, I know a lot of the, a lot of them were caught on the full by both Pappenhausen and Addo Carr, but they had to track back. They weren't running onto the ball. Every single kick that he put in, they had to jog back five, ten meters to make sure that they did catch it on the full. Which, in the context of a game like that's huge. Yeah, and the territorial battle was massive. There were, there were swings and roundabouts in this game because of how good the Melbourne Storm were, and that's why this win was so encouraging for me. Is that Melbourne did not play a bad game. They were there from the first minute to the 80th, and they got plenty of their own way in the ruck and and forward passes too. So they, they were allowed to play their game plan as they drew it up, be disruptive, control the ruck, uh, sorry, the speed of the ruck uh, with all the, you know, defend, the, the gritty defensive bullshit they pull. And yet the Eels were still good enough to win. They played boring football. I know it's the weather, like, but like at least we try to be a bit expansive, you know, um, a couple second um second phase plays. Like, they just played like boring football. And, you know, you don't want to reward um those tactics, but like... The only time I was worried or scared was well, those kicks and those ricochet bounces. Like, other than that, like, you know, at a car, like, you know, his speed, so like, never once feared him. Even Pappenhausen, like, 
even well, the forwards. Pappen, like, Pappenhausen made one, one line break that game, and he got yeah. absolutely gunned down by Dylan Brown in the space of mm. like 15 metres behind the line. It was ridiculous from Dylan, and I suppose it's the standard of defence that we hold him to that we're not even that blown away by it. And you could probably put it down to like, like I said in the last week's, you got to target Brendan Smith, make him work hard because they did. He yeah, was so, gassed. He he checked like, out in the 60th or thereabouts, the 60th minute, and he was yeah he was huffing and puffing. And then on top of that, they just negated. He went for a dummy half dart early in the game, and beyond that, he did not threaten at all. Yeah, exactly. And you know he threw a bad pass to Munster who before halftime blew up better. But other than that, his service was slow. And maybe that probably why they're sort of playing. You know, a bit slow football, but other than that, there's just there's no fear at this game, you know. So now, before we get to the um some of the ugly nitty gritty out of this game, is there anyone else want to give a shout out to on the Eels boys? I think obviously the coaching staff caught a good game. the The team responded individually though. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, both very good. Reagan Campbell Gillard, 170 meters from 17 carries. Um, Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown. That, oh, that pass that he put on the reg, where he had the uh, offload to Mitchell Moses, for Moses that, there. Yeah. Oh, if he ran onto that Mitchell, that would have been a try. That that actually segues nicely into a, a small point in, into how aggressive we were down our edges. We were very happy to throw quality passes and offloads before the line. And uh, one play that we sort of deployed in, in an interesting capacity in that way was Isaiah Papali'i, who was uh, like a pivot point down the left quite uh, regularly for the Eels. And they were throwing lots of aggressive um, looks at the Melbourne Storm. And I think that's part of the reason why Melbourne perhaps kept unbalanced or on the back, heel, on the back foot slightly. Right. Sean Lane didn't drop the ball. Yeah, so that's well, like a- Sean, Sean, Lane <laughs> deserves, Sean Lane deserves a shout-out because he played a very solid game. Numbers weren't yeah. mind-blowing because 12 runs for 98 metres is, is solid but not outstanding. But he defended well. Uh, had some time, like Some of those runs were quite timely too coming out of our red zone and importantly didn't have any defensive lapses or loose carries yeah. that you know give the Melbourne easy possession. Yeah. He- it's like the perfect response to um. The, obviously, you knew he had a bad game that round one, yeah. but like it's the perfect response. And I don't know, maybe Sean Lane's a you know a wet football kind of guy. You know, like if we feel more and more, he hated the wet. Like you, you don't do that kind of stuff. Maybe you know, he's the opposite. He's a secret weapon. Yeah, he's a duck. Quack yeah. quack. Right. Well, uh, Laney looked a lot more interested throughout this. He had to stay on for eighty minutes this game, and he did it. I think that we need more of that from Sean. Yeah, well, especially given uh, what happens next, what we're going to discuss. But uh, the most unsavory moment of the game, bar none, uh, Philia, Philia, Felice Kafusi uh, drops the elbow onto Ryan Madison's head about three quarters through this game uh, in a, a deliberate elbow drop that was like, I, I don't think there's any defending it. And I think that the, the stand that the media has taken in general has been encouraging because there is no place for this stuff in the game. I do think the NRL's response in both game and in uh, review was insipid. Uh, I'm not a fan of how both things were handled. Uh, in-game, Felice Kafusi was put on report, but not Simbin, or as he probably should have been, sent off. Um, and which, which leaves you baffled as to the rule that was instated or the guideline. I'm not sure how it's actually worded in black and white, but the Eels have copped it a couple times against them, Where and fair enough, where if a player leaves the field on account of a, a foul play attacking the head, leading to a HIA, a head injury assessment, then the uh, player that committed the indiscretion will be Simbin or sent off. And yet here we are again with Parramatta having a player uh, ruled out for a quarter of a game, uh, and no, you know, barring the penalty itself, nothing coming from it. And to make things worse, Felice Kafusi faced a two to three week suspension on the sidelines. When if the NRL really wanted to make an example of him, they could have gone for four plus or even six plus, because that that was just grubby. Like that the the malice behind what he did 
was only ever going to have one outcome, and that was seriously hurting an opposing player. Yeah, and all this talk of, oh, he's trying to wrap up the ball. Well, the ball's not near Madison's head. It's around his chest. And then as you said, he looks down, he brings his right arm up, and then pushes it. It's Firstly, it's a head slam, which is a sin bin. And then you also have the forearm connecting with the head. To me, that's a send-off. That, that's where I was at, Ham. The... Given that we're, we're taking such a strong precedent or supposedly taking such a strong precedent on concussions and the actions that lead to them, the fact that he was allowed to stay on the field and only got the suspension that he did cop, it, it really blows your mind. And, you know, we saw it in the uh, in the next NRL game was between um, Penrith and Canterbury where, where Tennis Lesniak, I think, intentionally went to hit Nathan Cleary high. At, at the, be- at the best, it was a very loose... Tackle at the worst, which is quite quite possible, is like you said, Ham. It was an element of intent there, and to me, even that should have been a send off. And yep. I think it was Brent Reed brought it up on uh, the Sunday Footy Show. What constitutes a send off anymore? If and there's no intent to injure either Ryan Matteson or Nathan Cleary in those two tackles, that neither of those tackles were reckless or careless. Neither of them were. They were both intent to injure the, the player, high, the highest grade possible. Yes. And that's what happened. They both went off with concussion, which is a very serious injury. The NRL, uh, they want to walk the walk, or they want to talk the talk. Time to walk the walk. walk. They haven't walked the walk. Yeah. And in Ryan Madison, I mean, obviously the Cleary concussion is every bit as significant as the Madison concussion, but given Madison's prize, the Eels are going to be fatty services for at least a couple of weeks now. Like last year when uh, Luciano Lelua. Uh, got Madison in a strong run. Uh, it led to Madison missing two weeks, and before that, he's missed multiple weeks for the Tigers, I believe. Um, so the Parramatta Reel is going to be fat the services, one of their highest paid players and one of the most important players for a number of weeks. And you know, the there's no compensation. I mean, obviously, the Storm can't be you know asked to compensate in that regard. But the very least you want to see is the player sent off for one of the worst acts you can do, and and in the context of a longer season. The player is suspended for an actual time that is a correlation to the incident that happened instead of getting a two-week holiday. It's, 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 sorry, going it's, it's disgusting. Like, and look, I'm not going to try to be biased. Let's just say he didn't mean to elbow him. There was no intention to elbow. Let's just say that, right? Let's just try to be neutral. But there was intention to drive him to the ground and, hit, and slam him. So you can't deny that because the way he held him and forced him. Look, he didn't fall on him. He drove. So you can argue, oh, it wasn't an elbow. Like, there's no elbow contact, but there's intentions. His intentions were to drive him to the ground. And what are you doing that for? Like, I don't like. And this is where, like, the AFL, what they do, right? They take in the injury into into account when they're punishing the defender. Now they they have an argument about whether or not that's true. But like, you know, if if he set out the same amount of time, maybe a bit longer than what uh, Matto is, it'll be a fair thing, a fair um result. Like, you look at last time someone got Simbin for, like, a foul play. It was us against Penrith. It was a complete accident, right? And yet, it was actually Klein, I believe, and he said the guy won't be won't be back for the rest of the game, so you're going to be one man down. The Eels sticking point of that incident was, in round one of that season, Michael Jennings had been suspended for hitting Isaiah Yo as he fell down with a, a you know, it was a high shot because it made contact with the face, even though Isaiah Yo was folding over. And he was, yeah. he was, he was Simbin, which... You know, as as an Eels fan, it's obviously frustrating, but that was the correct ruling within the context of the new rules. Then two weeks later, against the uh, West Tigers, it was the Easter Monday game, 
and funnily enough, Ryan Madison's involved here. From the opening kickoff, he clocks Daniel Alvaro high and knocks Alvaro out of that entire game. And Gufferson goes to, I think it might have been Klein as well that game. No, no, it was, it was Sutton on that one. Oh, it was Sutton? Yeah. Okay. He goes to Sutton saying, and he knew exactly what, what he was saying, that, you know, Michael Jennings had been Simmin for that. He needs to be Sinbin. And Sutton told him that's not how it works. It's like, excuse me? And also, at Magic Round that year, um, Sivo hits Jerome uh, Hughes high, and Perinara uh, Simbins him, and, and yet Gaffer says, well, the hang same, on, we had the same thing. The same also and happened he, at Kane Evans, where he made contact. The guy yeah. ran into his peck, and he ended up getting Simbin against St. George, well, it might have been. Seriously, like, if, if someone's getting Simbin for, like, a little nudge elbow um, with the Latrell Mitchell one, and this doesn't get Simbin, it's making it look weak, like... At least make the Latrell Mitchell one a five-minute Simbin, you know? This has to be, like, I, he, you can clearly see, that, like, he dropped the ball because he was knocked out. Like, you don't well, drop the that, ball that's, if you're conscious, that, That's right? why, as Ham would probably agree with me with, that the, this sort of territory errs towards more of a send-off than a Simbin. Yeah. And then what makes it even worse, go back and look at it again. What does he do when he picks up the ball straight away? He drives the elbow into Opacic's neck, throat. Now tell me, does this guy have a fetish with elbows? Like I've never seen this. He what? just uses his elbow for like, and like South had the same thing last year or the year before. They were talking about the bumpers. They are taught to raise the elbow, so they're aware of where they're aware of how they use their arms and elbows. So like it's just it's such BS. Seriously, like does someone does what if Ryan Madison never recovers from this and he retires? If I'm Matter, I'm suing Felice Kafusi and I'm suing in the NRL. Because seriously, people's career careers can end after one knock, let alone many knocks he's had in his career. And it's just, I don't know, if the NRL, it's going to take seriously one person to do something really bad post-career. Like, I, like I just I just can't see it. Like, you know, you look at the NFL, right? There's, there's people killing themselves, right? Donating their brains to, to make, a, make a difference and make sure this doesn't happen again. And I don't know what more do we need for the NRL to take this seriously. Seriously. Well, the thing is, the Storm have been doing this for well over a decade. They've been teaching their players to wrestle, to do illegal tactics, to, to me, intentionally injure players. And they've already put somebody in a wheelchair. They've already put, they've put Alex McKinnon in a wheelchair, and what's changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. They're still teaching them illegal tactics. They're still intentionally injuring players. They're still doing it, and... The NRL needs to do something about this club and about Craig Bellamy and whoever he employs. And they're just illegally and intentionally hurting players, and it's it's disgusting. And then you have the Christian Walsh one. Like, it takes you um, uh, the Cumberland Fro to tweet a video for them to do something, for him to come out and apologise. Like, what if, if he knew what he did wrong, because he said he apologised to him after... Say something, be like, "Hey, get on the front foot." But the fact is, he they have the reaction like it's all BS. Seriously, do you honestly think they're sorry? You know, like I'm, you know, I feel sorry for Welsh when he did his knee. I don't give a shit no more about him after that tackle because you can do a knee like that. So my sympathy for him when he did his knee is out the door. Like, that's what, a grub act. That particular and then also act you have the yes. sorry forty, um, you have the storm coming out and making a complaint about Clinton Gutherson having his ankle taped, saying, oh, the game shouldn't have stopped. And then they have Ryan Pappenhausen headbutting Tom Epichich's knee, and then he doesn't go off for a HIA? Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Pappenhausen what? was also uh, trying to milk a crusher as well earlier prior to the yeah. Opicic, uh fake head injury. 
so yeah, the the Melbourne Storm, I, I tend to put a turn my ears away from their complaints because it, it it happens a lot against Parramatta. I've noticed too. They they get very vocal in the media. They are Bellamy and company like to um find an angle or a slant to complain about, um, and they really you know uh, try and drill it into the press. And the press love to run for it because conflict and drama is what they feed on. Um, but yeah, in this case, you know Gufferson and like may, maybe Gufferson was performing gamesmanship, but you know, maybe he was also winking to say, no, I'm all right. So they're, they're drawing long bows. And the fact is, is that following that, Pappenhausen tries to milk the game twice. And like you I said, mean, Han, the second of which invoked a head injury potentially, in which he should have been taken aside for a, uh, an assessment. Betty, you were going to say? Oh, I was going to say, oh, and then you have the coach come out and say, oh, nah, like we get like, Coaches that don't want to talk about like serious matters, they say they toe the line. Oh, I didn't get a good look at it. Okay, that's fine. But then they say, "Oh, I didn't get a good look at it." But you know what? From the one look I had, it did look it didn't look that bad. Like you either come out and say you didn't have a good look, or you just don't comment on it. And because- I, I'd be fine of saying the I didn't have a good look because games go by fast, and coaches are looking at a dozen different things, even when the ball's in play at one particular point. So yeah. that would have been fine. But yeah, to double down and say, "Oh, but the one look I did have, which means one look." Um, it didn't look that bad. Like, you know, this team last last semifinal, last year's semifinal, the, the trainer was signaling the, the bench uh, to stop the game. Like, I don't get it. Like, they complain about Guffer going down, and yet for Papa Lee, he didn't go down. Like, all you want us to do, you want us to go down for everything. Like, it's just it's just a bunch of sore losers, seriously. And you know, they they were outperformed. They got lucky those two tries. Let's be honest. And like, that, that's probably you know, a, a good off, a good place to finish. Plus, finish know? the review. The fact that the Storm had a couple of lucky tries. The Eels were sixteen to twelve victors. The win improves the Eels' position from seventh on the ladder to fifth. Um, they are one of the five only undefeated teams in the competition as it stands, alongside the Roosters, Panthers, Raiders, and Knights. And it sets up a cla- so last week it was seven v eight for eels versus storm, and this week it's going to be fifty six eels versus sharks. So we're climbing the ladder one <laughs> a couple of rungs at a time versus the team that's directly below us. So uh, good stuff. And we're there. only ranked six according to like a uh, well, halfback. Yeah, a, a certain so. uh, Sowies Powies, where a team that's one <laughs> one one is ahead of us, and the team that we beat's ahead of us. So um, yes, uh, good times there. Any anything you want to say on this game before we wrap up, boys? Because it was a particularly awesome win. It sets the table for a big run in the early parts of the season for us. Uh, you know, shout out to the crowd that got out there. Um, 10,400, nearly 10,500 in absolutely atrocious conditions. And any final comments? I've got nothing. I'm all done now. That's it. We've, <laughs> we've, we've celebrated the win. We've gotten on our soapbox. And we've had a good rant about um, a, sort of a modern rival in the Melbourne Storm. Now let's move on. So <clears throat> uh, round three of the NRL and uh, it's round is it round eight of the junior reps yes yeah round well it's ten yeah it's round eight but spite round seven being washed out um, and then it's also round three in the flag and the and the New Wales Cup despite the Hills having played no games after the two rounds of action so let's jump into all our previews oh technically there is the news that we already spoke about the Mike Acevo re-up for two years um, the media did report that during uh, late last week as a one plus one in his favour, a one-year extension with one-year player option. But the f- initial NRL database uh, says that it's just a two-year extension. So I'm just going to quickly have a gander here. Um, so he turned down this contract in favour of an offer from French rugby. Um, what do we make of this, boys? If Sivo continues to do what he's doing this year, 
Um, he'll have a career year. Um, I think he's 153. Let's say 150 metres a game, uh, two tries, two games. Um, if he goes on to just continue that trend, he'll be back to being one of the best wingers in the game and a very, very, very good pickup for Par- or re-signing for Parramatta. Yeah, he's still listed as uh, just a straight, flat two-year extension on NRL.com's uh, player signings tracker. So that could still be updated in the coming days, but um, they're, they're pretty good with their player options and club option uh, extensions. So as it stands, it looks like he is here for two more full seasons, so 2022 and 2023. Um, and yeah, given that Blake Ferguson is allegedly on the move at the end of the year, it is nice to have one of the flanks locked down. Um, it, it is always difficult you know, replacing multiple players at the same position because of the element of our chemistry and, and experience that you need to have in a team at some in some capacity. So yeah, good to see Micah uh, re-up for us. I mean, like it's, I, I feel as though um, the whole like really we rugby union really involved because let's be honest, rugby union, you know, we, even when we talk about Australian rugby, like they've got not so so much plenty of money, but like you got to see the money they offered Vunavalu. Like, I'm sure like some team in England would have offered him. So I just feel as though realistically, no one's going to be paying money, and if the best deal, you know, why move, you know, you, you, you've located, I don't know where he's located, but he doesn't have to, you know, move houses, He's he likes the lads, like... And he's look, part of a very successful team too, so the, yeah, exactly. lots of reasons for Micah to enjoy his stay in the blue and gold. I think both, it's a, it's a win-win for both, because then, you know, um, we don't commit to him long-term, and, you know, like... Well, and I, I think as long as we keep him away from Brad Parker, Micah's due for, uh, probably due for big things for Parramatta, which is always good. Mm. Um, one yeah. little bit of news that we should mention before we head it, uh, move on is um, the injury updates put out by the club. Uh, Bryce Cartwright has been adjusted from his draw injury to rounds four or five, so that suggests that he is right around the corner given that it's round three on uh, Saturday for the Eels. Michael Oldfield is still on his projected round five to six timeline with a knee injury, which was an MCL, I believe. Wonga Blake is listed as TBA for calf injury, but Brad Arthur said in the post-game presser against the Storm that it's a four- to six-week timeline, which I think is a grade two calf strain off the top of my head. Um, and but calves, as we know, of Mitchell Moses last year, are, are rather troublesome injuries, and there is a element of a, a lingering aspect to it. So he might not be rushed back, especially if Murata keeps doing a, a rather solid job. And the final member of the uh, list there this week is Ryan Madison, who is TBA, given how uh, dangerous concussions are, and the club are doing their due diligence like they did last year for him. They're not going to rush him back. You know, as important as Matter is to this team, the well-being of his brain is um, magnitudes of, orders of magnitude higher than that. So they'll do the right thing by him and not force him back into the lineup too early. And that's what you need to do. <clears throat> it's, yeah, for something we have still know a, a little about, we don't know much about concussion and its um, future, uh, what it can do to someone's yeah. future. It's, it's not worth risking. And we do know that, like you know, repeat concussions within a short window can compound compound the effects as well and accelerate um, any sort of underlying conditions, which is why being careful with uh, Madison and and Jake Friend and Boyd Cordner, the, the guys that have sustained multiple concussions, Luke Curie as well. Um, you know, you don't race these guys back because they'll be. We don't know if they're actually healthy when they come back anyway, but you want to at least give them a chance to heal up um, in some capacity. Yeah, it's only around you know around three at the moment. There's nothing like we're not like the West Tigers where we're. Playing for a season already, so you know, just take it easy. Like, give it a couple of weeks, even if you give them a month. Like, at least you know whoever we put in, we can find out. Because if you look at our team, you know, we've said it, you know, for the past two years, one the thirteen is is you know s- solid, and you know, there's no no changes happening there. So at least we can find out 
you know, who can play bench, who can come and play on the edges, you know, like, at least it, it's like a blessing in disguise for us because of our uh, team being so solid and um, 1 to 17 each week, pretty much. That's it, boys. All right, let's go around the grounds for our previews now. We've got uh, three, four, five, six, six games to get through, if I'm not mistaken. So um, we're starting off with a triple header at New Era Stadium, um, kicking off at 9.30am with the Harold Matthews um, as they look to um, gun for a top two finish in the season and a potential week one bye in the uh, modified final series now for top six. So top two getting the first week off. And then you have quarterfinals between the remaining, uh, well, it's technically semifinals, two sets of semifinals really. But um, quarterfinals, I think it's listed as for the uh, round teams three to six. And then obviously playing uh, one and two in the following week for a spot in the grand final. Uh, for the Eels, um, I believe it's an unchanged team from the team that was meant to take on the Sharks. But we'll run for it quickly. Uh, Patrick Spence, Suliasu Aho, Charlie Gaima, Declan Murray, and Josh Lealaloto in a full-strength back line there. Um, in the halves, you've got Terence Lafayette and Ethan Sanders. Sam Tuavadi, Yeya Ayachi, and Orfag Mino will be the front row. And in the back row, you've got Raf Stratus ahead of his brother Dom, um, who's on the bench, alongside Saxon Pryke and Miles Martin, so a very strong forward pack. On the bench, Blaze Talangi, Joshua Alzahim, Jacob John, and the aforementioned Dom Destratus, twin brother of Raf. And Maveti Atuta is the uh, 18th man. They're taking on the Roosters this week, and that is the Sydney Roosters, not the Central Coast Roosters, because they're, to be confusing, there's two Roosters in this competition. Um, and now if I just quickly check the ladder, um, the Roosters in the Harold Matthews are right below the Eels with the same wins, just a slightly lesser for and against. So this is um, plenty of our bickies on the line in this contest. As Like I said, both teams are gunning for a top two finish. And I think you said this, well, that was last week, wasn't him, that 1v2 were playing. Is that right? No, it's this week. It's 1v2 and 3v4. Wow. So you got a, a pseudo preview of the finals there. Um, so winner of this game will move into the top two pending for and against. Um, and given that the Seagulls have got marginally better for and against than the Eels, any sort of good win for Parramatta and a loss for the Eagles means that Parramatta get into the top two uh, results pending, obviously. Uh, I was going to say, there's also draws. Well, given given how many given how many draws there's been as well, um, <laughs> uh, especially in the SG ball, there's only been one draw in the mats this year, but there's been several in the SG ball, one of which the Eels have been part of. Um, speaking of the SG ball, they are the middle game on uh, Saturday, not the primetime event. So they'll be kicking off at 11 o'clock, also against the Sydney Roosters. Um, this is a uh, they The washout last week for the SG ball was massive. Um, the game against Canberra where they upset the undefeated, the only undefeated team in the competition left them strewn of carnage with lots of injured, uh, injured players and guys banged up. So getting that pseudo buy was massive for them. So they read as such with uh, Josh Tupolotto in the number one, Caleb Coroneus and Freeman Forsyth on the flanks, Kamali Fekatoa and Jabril Kalachi in the centres, um, the usual halves of Josh Chappell and Keelan Bray in six and seven. Front row is back to full strength with uh, Jonte Jr., Bethan Misa and Larry Mwagatutia bookending Vlada Jankovic. And in the back row, you've got Jock Brazel, Maximus Tupo and the captain and inspirational lock forward Peter Tatia. On the bench is Drew Lloyd, Francis Fayofo Tuatino, Taylor Moala and Brock Parker. And that is... That's plenty of gas off the bench, Ham. That is their best bench all season, given that uh, uh, Taylor's back and Brock's back as well. 100%. You know, I think uh, probably the only player missing from that forward pack now is Jonte, um, who is a, definitely a big they, out. They've, got, they've got, got Jonte listed as starting. In the, in the oh, end. is he? Yeah. Oh. So that's why Taylor's um, been bumped back to the bench, I think. So, yeah. I'm just trying to think who was the – oh, it doesn't matter. It's just – it's a huge forward pack. Um, huge game from this team. Again, they're sitting sixth. They play fourth um, in the Sydney Roosters. But also, 
the team above them, the Manly Seagulls, only on points differential, play the team below Parramatta, the Penrith Panthers. Uh, so if they want to make sure they stay in the top eight, or top six, sorry, pardon me, um, need to win this game. If they do, they'll be jumping over the top of the Sydney Roosters and then pending other results could be in fourth position for this one. So oh, A lot to play for for both the Mats and the Boar. And um, the same is true for the Tasha Gales. They look to uh, win out from uh, the last remaining three games. I think they've got to buy in two games in hand, pardon. So they're going to need to win out to have any chance of making the top six. Um, and to do that, they're taking on the Indigenous Academy of the Sydney Roosters. Um, I'm not I'm not sure why, I suppose, just because it's uh, the Indigenous side, why it was built differently, but they're obviously focusing on Indigenous players, which is awesome. Um, for the Eels, Amina Kanj is at fullback, Daniil Keller and Hannah McFadden are on the wings, Jacinta Tui and Tamira Liardi are in the centres, uh, Lorene uh, Lua Manuve, sorry, I always stumble over that Lorene, I'm sorry, is at 5'8", with Catalina Vave at halfback, uh, the dynamic front row of Ruby John Kennard and the powerhouse captain Lasalio Cedar Payne will be bookending uh, Jada Tuivai. And in the back row, you've got Talisha Pugh, who's moved there from the centres recently, alongside Summer Tarare and Taimani Kolomarka at lock. On the bench, you've got Christian Corfawn, Leilani Tua, Eloisa Seve, and Summer Brown. Lucy Whitehead is the nine, well, she's listed in the 19, so the 18 slash 19 for Lady. Um, now, looking at the ladder for the Tasha Gale. The Indigenous Academy are holding down fifth spot on the ladder, so this is an important win if they can get it, um, because the Sharks, who they were scheduled to play last week, are sixth, and the Academy is fifth. So in that rescheduled game against the Sharks down the track, if they can get wins here and there, um, they're they're essentially uh, two win swings, right? Because they're teams that are trying to hold down the final spots at the top six, alongside you gaining ground on them. So and also uh, the ladder is a bit of a misnomer at the moment because. Um, the Eels haven't had a buy, whereas both the Sharks and the Indigenous Academy have had a buy there. So um, they're really only one win ahead of the girls, and the girls have got a draw, so they're only half a win ahead of the girls. So a win actually yeah. flips the ladder positions. So yeah, it's just all three grades this week. You know, big games for different reasons. Yeah, lots to play for. Um, coverage will be there on t- this game. Is this streamed, Hamish? Uh, no, because they're only an hour and a half apart. Okay, well, when they're two hours apart. Okay, well, TCT will be providing live updates for these three games. So, but if you can get out there, because there is time between um, these games and reserve grade, there is um, plenty of time. Yeah, Parramatta Stadium. So this the in, the women's will finish approximately two o'clock. So there's still time to get home from there and uh, get ready to go to uh, reserve grade at Parramatta Stadium. All right, and the game that will be bridging uh, the junior reps and then the doubleheader at Bank West is the Jersey Flag. Um, this game was originally billed to be out of Bank West as part of a massive triple header, but given the amount of traffic the ground has seen, I imagine that they've petitioned the club to reschedule. And as such, this game will now take place at McCready Park early in the afternoon. I think 2.30, is it right, Ham, or thereabouts? Um, yep. And this is actually an unchanged lineup from the team that was meant to take on the Raiders last week. Uh, Tavita Massimo at fullback with Matt Komalafi and Marley Townsend on the wings. Samuel Loizu and Jaden Skinner in the centres. Clayton Falolo and Nick Tilburg in the halves. In the front row, you've got bigger Tarsi James and Jack Colavati around Kyle Schneider. Back row is Oi Clements, Penny Tohey and Jaden Yates. On the bench, it's Ethan LeBlanc as a utility hooker, alongside Mark Tepesmith, Valence Harris and David Tui. So this is a game that I would love to cover, but uh, it's going to be very difficult because it's literally, you have to go New Era, then out to Guildford, then bounce over to the club. And there is enough time to do that, but I, 
I have a laptop that I'm struggling to keep charged, so I have to sort <laughs> of um uh, partition uh, partition my uh, my resources in a logistical manner. So I'll be doing the junior reps and then probably going towards uh, the reserve grade game and doing live updates for all four of those games. And unfortunately, the Jersey flag is a game that will miss out. Um, what do we what do we make of this game, Ham? Because we we haven't gotten a great read on the Jersey flag throughout the preseason. There was a some um, tough trials. They're they're definitely on the strength between guys playing SG ball and guys playing New South Wales Cup, um, but they've still got some talent here. Yeah, there's still some players to look out for. Um, Matthew Komalafi, Sam Louisu, uh, Tarsi James, all trained with the first grade team mm-hmm. or first grade squad, I should say, over the summer. So uh, the club obviously sees something in those players to have them in that positions. Um, and then, of course, you've got your yeah, Kyle Schneider, who had two seasons. Um, training with the first grade squad and on the bench, I'm expecting big things from uh, MTS, Mark Tepu Smith and Valence Harris. I think they're both 21, turning 21 this year. And they're, so, they're probably starting caliber props and maybe in a different setting. So Yeah, um, and they're both big boys. Um, Valence is very strong, very powerful run of the ball. Mark's who also a powerful run of the ball, but has a bit more ball playing. Um, yeah, ability. quality offload and good before the line too, if the ball in hand. And uh, I suppose Penny Toey is another one to watch too, who's the cousin of Caleb, um, who is a centre turn back rower. So be interesting to see how he sort of um, rolls out the start of the season. And given that they've had a buy and a false start, imagine they're chomping <laughs> chomping at the bit to get into this game because they've had to wait a long time for their first game of the year. Oh, I can imagine it's been for a lot of these guys been over twelve months since they played a yeah, game of footy. They got, so. they got round one last year and that's it so um, they'll be right into it and hopefully we get a good result here uh, win or lose even if as long as it's competitive um, this team will be doing very well so good to see that and that takes us on to the New South Wales Cup which as we alluded to earlier is the curtain raiser for the NRL um, kickoff at 5.10pm at Bank West taking on the Cronulla Sharks by way of the Newtown Jets um, who were aligned with them this year um, so it's a similar team to last week but the, uh, the extended injuries to the first grade lineup has meant that they're Eels are actually drawing pretty deep on their reserve reserves here. Um, Sean Russell at fullback, Big Solomon in Iduki, and Hayes Dunster on the flanks. Uh, outstanding young talent Will Penasini at centre alongside a NRL veteran and Tim Laffey. Jordan Rankin will captain the team from 5'8", and he'll be helped the uh, young Jacob Arthur steer the team around the park. Front row reads as David Hollis, Joey Lusick, and Makahesi Makatoa, who was bumped from lock to prop. Not that there's a significant difference between the two roles in some teams, so obviously Makatoa playing tight in the middle. Um, back row was very new look though. Uh, Kurt Dillon has moved from prop to lock, um, so obviously a cosmetic change between him and Makatoa. But Eli Elzakaham and sorry Eli Elzakaham and Shabel Tasapawi both get promotions from the bench um, to the starting edge in light of the uh, call ups, the first grade for other players, and the bench is looking a bit skinny. Uh, Nathaniel Roach and uh, uh, Lalatoa Mata'afa, who is I think it was billed or something. His first name was different last week, but um, Lalatoa Mata'afa are fourteen and fifteen. And the venerable TBA gets runs at spot 16 and 17. So, um, tough, 16 and 22. 16 and 22. Sorry, i got to get those jersey numbers right for the bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tough times for Ryan Carr. Um, he has got 15 fit players. And I'm, I imagine, I think there's some talk about some regi- like you know player registration issues that the club's working through to get guys fit, uh, not fit, but get guys cleared for the game. You know, they might call up, if not, they might call up guys from the flag maybe. Itasi James is a player, like you mentioned, Ham, full-time training this preseason, so he'd be a candidate to play if not. Um, but, yeah, you have to think the club will scramble to find a way to fill those jerseys because rolling out 15 players <laughs> for a game seems suboptimal. 
Yeah, uh, not good. But the I do very much enjoy, especially the starting, the whole starting lineup. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very fun with. starting lineup. Yeah, I, there there are legitimately one, two, three. Uh, I mean, Hayes has played in a row. I'm going to count him as a prospect still. Four, five, six. Uh, I'd say seven genuine NRL prospects in that lineup. Not guys that are going to be full-time first graders or stars, but seven guys from Russell, Naiduki, Penasini, Dunster, uh, Arthur Hollis, and uh, Tassipale, and maybe Eli as well. But um, counting Tassipale as seven guys that could potentially be NRL prospects for the Eels. So that is well, a very fun team. Uh, six of the seven are eligible for uh, 20s, and one two, three are eligible for uh, SG Ball. So um, huge game, if possible, get out to it because uh, the great Peter Volandis has wanted to get three grades onto the onto the one day. He's done his best, got two out to this game. People constantly talk about, oh, I missed three, game, three grades of footy at, at the, on the day. I miss it, I miss it, I miss it. And you get 2,000 people turn up. So... Parramatta supporters, you got a, a Saturday. Um, you know, it's not supposed to be raining from now until whenever, until three years or something. Friday is Friday is built for Friday is built for rain, but Saturday is meant to be just cloudy. So, if oh, that's, there you if go. that's so, the case, no excuses. No excuses to to not get out to the reserve grade, um, especially those that have been crying out for uh, more grades to be on at the football, which I am one, but I will be there. Yes, so, and if you are, assuming that you, you haven't got a bad excuse to get out there and you're just like, you know, regionally locked out of getting into a game at Parramatta, I will be doing updates for this game on TCT, so you can catch them there. And those that can go to this game... Get out there, damn it. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, those that can get out to this game but won't, uh, you're not allowed to follow 40's live updates. You have to oh, wait. He's, he's laying, Ham is laying down the law here. <laughs> And that's the bottom line. Three one six because Ham said so. Um, all right, guys, let's move on to the main event. Uh, kicking off at seven thirty, the primetime game on Foxtel. Um, Channel Nine don't cover the Saturday game, still, don't they? Uh, no, not for the top. There's talk that they at the back end of the season they might get some of the Saturday games. I think I'm not sure what yeah. the, uh, the the telly rights are at the moment. But uh, the Eels have named a relatively unchanged lineup. Just the force changes by way of the Ryan Madison injury and the Wonga Blake injury which they'd already accounted for from the right on the corner move. Um, for the Sharks, though, um, they look at such William Kennedy at fullback with Sione Katoa and Ronaldo Molotalo on the wings. Joshua Dugan and Connor Tracy gets pumped up from the bench to starting centre uh, for them. Um, but that's by way of the suspension to Jesse Ramian, right, for that real cheap shot um, yep. they did last week. Um, in the halves, it's Matt Moller and Chad Townsend. Um, front row is Braden hamlin Ueli, Blake Braley and Aaron Woods. Britton Nakora, Wade Graham, captain of the team in the back row, and Toby Rudolph at lock. Uh, their bench is Teague Wilton, or Teague Wilton, Aiden Tolman, Jack Williams, and the big Greek freak, Billy McGoss. Um, extended um, bench is uh, Mawani Harati, Nene McDonald, Andrew Fafita, and Braden Trindle. Their coach is John Morris. For the Eels, Clinton Gufferson, or captain of the team from fullback. Uh, the two try hero from last week, Mike Acevo and Blake Ferguson, are on the wings. Tom Opacic, or Opacic, I'm, I'm confused as to which one it is. Some people said it's Opacic with the H. Um, and Murata Niakori in the centres. Uh, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses in the halves. 
the powerful front row of Reagan Campbell Gillard, Reed Marnie, and Junior Paulo will be accompanied by the back row of Sean Lane, Isaiah Papa Lee, who gets promotion to uh, left edge, and Nathan Brown at lock. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi holds down the fort as the only recognized uh, big middle, but he'll be on the bench alongside Keegan Hipgrave as the, the tweener forward, uh, Will Smith and Ray Stone. So, uh, extended bench, sorry, is Jordan Rankin, Hayes Dunstad, David Hollis, and Joey Lusick. Though we're not really expecting any shenanigans from these four. I mean, technically, Hayes Dunstad could come into the back line, allowing you to drop Marada near Corey, or drop, uh, push Marada near Corey, or Isaiah Papali'i to the back row, uh, to the bench, sorry, um, and give you a bit more beef on the bench. But I think we'll be 1-17, to barring any sort of training mishaps. All right, boys, let's get into this one. Uh, anything to say on the Sharks before we get into the Eels? Not really. they've been on struggle street Um, John Morris has been the focus a bit of criticism from the club internally about not getting an extension Um, but we do know the Sharks always play a gritty play style against the the Eels and invariably their games tend to be closer than they probably should be and uh, thankfully in recent times the Eels have started to get the wood on them and I'm starting to rack up the W's eating the W's as uh, a certain NFL backup QB would say but yeah, uh, this one will be interesting because the Eels have a real good chance to consolidate a great start to the season, um, and they don't want to take this game lightly after a good win. You don't want to get too lax. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, a win is – yeah, I, I won't say – I've seen some people say it's a season-defining game and all this sort of stuff. I don't – one game doesn't define a season. You, there's 24 games, mm-hmm. so – Every game's worth as much as each other at this at this point in the season. Obviously, um, it's a game that we should be winning. Uh, we're coming off a huge win in uh, against Melbourne. We've come. We've got to have nine day turnaround. So the the bodies have rested. The bodies have recovered. Um, there should be no excuses about knocks and bumps and all this sort of stuff. Um, they should be fresh, ready to go. And the Sharks played on Sunday, so uh, six day turnaround for them. Birdie? Yeah, it's not it's not a season defining win, but um, it's like a resume resume builder. Like we want to, to be honest, at the end of the season we have to win the games that we we expected to win. And you know, okay, we win, we're not going to cheer it. But like the ones you do lose, you just you never forget them. And you know, like last time we played them was like in horrendous conditions, and Wade Graham just being the vet, he just he just snuffed out every chance we had. And look, if we win, we're not going to. As I said, if we win, we're not going to go crazy, but just get the job done. You know, if you want to be taken seriously, you got to get the job done. You know, like the Eels were pretty good um, at doing the, flat track. getting the job done in 2020. Oh, um, they, they did win most of the yeah, games they were favoured in, except for maybe the one that really comes off top of head is the Mike Acevo injury game against Manly. Um, we even then that was you know a, a team that's at home on a tricky track, but Dragons. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The Dragons is the other one that really stands out. You're right about that hand. That's a good call. That were the two games that that we sort of probably lost that we should have won. Um, and that's funny because when you talk about the Cronulla Sharks, they won a lot of games that they were meant to win in 2020 but didn't get a single win mm-hmm. against their fellow top eight uh, finisher. So they've struggled against the good teams. And well, they're going to be motivated to get a dub against the top eight. So, yeah, that, that, that then raises the question is how fired up they're going to be because uh, yeah. they could have gotten the W or at least gone to Golden Point on the weekend if it wasn't for Chad Townsend's horrendous kicking action. Um so then, you, know, you know, for a brewer, he's a, he's not a bad goal kicker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's got the 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 hunchback of Notre Dame approach, like uh, bent over, crabbing in. I don't know what what the the uh, the idea is, but yeah, they blew the game against the Canberra Raiders. That was a very winnable one for them. If um Chad had kicked a bit better, 
But yeah, they're, they're going to be fired up, no doubt. But this is a home game for the Eels, and they are very difficult to to, to be beaten at Bank West by. Um, you know, I think what was it, Penrith, the Dogs, and the Rabbitohs. Are they the three teams that have managed to knock us off at Bank West? Uh, correct. Yeah, I said the Rabbitohs. Oh, and Dragons. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Dragons game, they keep repressing. There you go, four teams. <laughs> so, so, oh, so we haven't versed Sharks at Bank West, have we? No, Just... because in twenty in 2019, we faced them in round three or four. Before the stadium um, opened up. Yeah. And then last year it was at it was just away out at um. That was just one game at yeah. Cobbler, wasn't it? I'm going to say so, yeah. Because that stadium would have been shut down for redevelopment. Was that Cogra? I know it was at one of the Dragons game, uh, yeah. grounds, but it would have been. I Cogra. just can't remember playing them at Bank West. I know we played the reserve grade team in the. Yeah, we we played them at A and Z, obviously, like you said, Ham, because the stadium wasn't open for it, and we got a win, and yeah, and then we beat them in awful awful conditions. Um, at Cogra, that was a <laughs> bludger of a game in terms of the weather. That one, um, yeah. So, what are we looking at here? Because they've got a very big middle. Hamlin, Uwele, Aaron Woods, and Toby Rudolph is a massive starting rotation. Um, they've got some uh, one of the better back rollers in the competition. Wade Graham on one edge. Britton Nakora is a decent player that had a huge rookie year, but then sort of faded a bit after that. Um, where can we exploit the Sharks? I know you said big middle, but I'm looking right around that middle. For us to exploit them, yeah. Well, big middle uh, doesn't mean it can't be exploited. Like, yeah, hundred percent. I think that um, I had a look earlier today. The Sharks are one of the leading teams for missed tackles. Um, Hamlin, Uele, and Toby Rudolph are leading that charge right around the ruck there. So, I'm looking for Reed Marnie again. Those ruck passes between him and Mitchell Moses bring in the smaller guys in around those so big, Nathan, big Nathan, forwards. Nathan Brown too, if his ability to ball play before the line. Absolutely. I'm looking at those players to really stamp, make their impact noted in the first 20 to 30 minutes there. Does anyone in the current mean, lineup scare you, Bertie? No, not, oh, not really. Maybe Ronaldo, Mulatalo, and Qatar because, you know, they, they've got a bit of speed and they're great finishes. But other than that, like, you know, like, no one scares me. Like, we should be targeting Dugan. Like, Murata will be up against Dugan and just run over him. Like, he ran over Olam last week and he's, like, built like a brick shithouse, you know, like... And then we got Tom Opacic against Tracy. Like I don't know about Tracy, but isn't he like a halfback playing? He in was. The he was a halfback that's transitioned to more of a general utility player for the Sharks, and he's actually pretty good at the ball in hand. He's a bit of a dangerous runner, can break a tackle and beat a man of speed. So that's actually a real interesting matchup because Tom is a pretty solid defender. Mm. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Sharks look to use Tracy, who has been uh, pre- like predominantly an interchange player for him. I mean, like, feed Murata early ball and do exactly what you did last week. Kick to um, target Connor Tracy. Don't kick it towards uh, Ronaldo. Kick it a bit shallow and, you know, get... Um, who's on Who's on the edge on that side? Is that um, Sean Lane? Uh, oh, yeah, wait, for us? Uh, for us? Yeah, for us. Like, like so we go, like, who... Because I was going to say kick to the back row. If it's Sean Lane yeah. on Connor Tracy, I think he gives him a foot and a half, you know, height um, advantage, so... Oh, well, even yeah, just... Blake Ferguson coming into that centre position, coming... Yeah. on that unders line off a kick, you know, it's still going to be height advantage, even over uh, Mulatalo. Does he play uh, left edge for the Sharks? Both Katara and Mulatalo are on the rather squat side for modern-day flankers, I think. So, uh, No, Mulatalo's yeah. got a bit of height. He's 190, whereas Katara is very short. Yeah. Um, so. so, again, as Bertie said, aerial kicks, um, when we're in the attack, aerial kicks are the order of the day, I think, for this game. It's... Um, 
yeah, I think we can maybe not run up a score on the Sharks because, as you said, 40, it's always a close game. But I think we, we really need to put the pressure on them. And it goes without saying, if they can manage to harness the sort of game style and, and play style that came out of that round two win, they'll go a long way towards a comprehensive victory. But sometimes it is hard to back up that sort of effort because you're so hyper-focused on beating the reigning premiers. You know, it's your home opener. There's so much to play for because, it, you know, the media were writing us off. The general pundits, you know, you look at Reddit and um, no one was giving the Eels a chance. There was, I think Joey Johns had the article that went up saying that this is how the Eels can attack the storm and, and end up predicting the actual margin perfectly. Um, and it was sort of laughed off as, you know, the Melbourne Storm are essentially going to roll the Eels. And it, sometimes it can be hard to back up that sort of effort. So this is going to be a challenge for the boys mentally more than physically, I'd say, just to make sure they're up for this game against an opponent that they know, while they may not be a flashy team, that historically have played them very tough. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they handle this game. Put well, just on. on that, Cordy, is – sorry, Bertie. Um, two new players on the bench there, Keegan Hipcrave and Ray Stone. Both will bring a lot of energy. I know Keegan loves to push – the boundaries in terms of ruck infringements and penalties. He can rein that back a little bit and become sort of that Nathan Brown player. And Stoney, I think the same, you know, just brings that energy. Two fresh players who didn't play in that game. Both, well, Stoney hasn't played for how long now? Keegan only had a couple of minutes off the bench um, in round one. So both will be chomping at the bit to get on the field there. I think they'll get a few minutes between them. How do you think they're going to be used? Because the Eels are very light on genuine middle forwards. Um, I wrote about this on my Timless Tuesday post, and I spoke about it with you beforehand. I wouldn't be surprised to see Junior Paulo and, and Reg clock up 60-plus minutes in this game as the Eels lean on them heavily to establish dominance in the ruck. But, you know, we, we could see Sean Lane transition to the middle when Kick and Hipgrave comes on. Obviously, Kafusi's going to feature in the middle. Um, how do you think the Eels manage to rotate their forwards in this game? Um, I see Stoney coming onto an edge. I can see the Papali'i or Sean Lane going moving into the middle then probably mm-hmm. Papa because we've seen what he can do in the middle and he just he seems to relish the contact both with and without the ball. Um so I think Stoney will rack up a few minutes there, probably twenty five plus on out on the edge there and then, you know, might even play a bit of small ball again, bringing Will Smith in for Nathan Brown. Um gives you that option of having two dummy halves. Allows either to jump out a dummy half there and I, I'm I've enjoyed Will's uh, presence on the field in both games. I yeah. thought um, he was very smart in taking that intercept. That was very uh, cerebral play. Um, he knew he, that Melbourne Storm were desperate to score. Um, he circled round in that, in that set that actually um, offloaded aggressively prior to that play. So that was just good heads-up defensive footy. Um, he took the hit up before Junior Paulo's try where I think he was actually contending with two Melbourne Storm forwards and – Keeping his feet there, so he's very strong for his right, size. Well, like the NBA, small ball is the future of the NRL. <laughs> I think that you know it, it'll dry up a little bit. Comes on Saturday um, against those big forwards, your Aaron Woods, Hamlin, Uele, um, just a bit of footwork in and around the ruck there. I think Will Smith can really open them up. Bertie, anything you note from the bench, mate, or are you just expecting us to go heavy with our starters? Oh, I think. Mean- I think Stone Sony will be a big uh, inclusion because uh, he's one of those old-fashioned tacklers get around the legs, you know, like a not like a Christian Walk style, like clean style. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing what Stoney can bring. He's going to be oh. chomping at the bit. Oh. Mate, he's he's like he's one. Of, it's one of those ones where you got to have him and Nathan Brandon in the field at the same time because they just oh, feed off can, each other. Can anyone team handle that much aggression? 
that is that is a, that is a lot of trying to line up each other. A lot of juice coming <laughs> coming onto the field to try and rattle the cages of the opposition. Hey, there's enough juice on the shark side. We don't we don't uh, need juice. <laughs> we hey, apple juice with the Bama yeah. reels, man. <laughs> Or a, a good green juice, you know, very healthy smoothie. Um, um I want to touch on like, uh, if you, if any of you watch sharks, like their halves are pretty much terrible when it comes to kicking. So Wade Graham acts like a third half. So if we can get a bit of pressure on him, you know, uh, force him not to kick because as soon as he's going to get the ball, he's going to kick it down the edges. So that's a good point. Know, trying, um, yeah, trying to nullify his uh, kicking game because you know Moylan can't kick without doing a hammy and. <laughs> If I, if I did have to circle one player in that Sharks lineup, you've nailed it. Um, it is definitely Wade Graham, who was a Parramatta recruitment target a few years back, actually. Um, obviously, he was big fans of the uh, very multi-talented back rower. And like you said, he's actually one of their primary playmakers. So, you know, obviously you've got to respect the half still in some capacity because Matt Moylan does have a good uh, show and go. But, you know, you, you sort of look to pick on those two defensively and then you look to go after... <clears throat> go after Wade Graham as that third option. Don't let him be the pressure outlet for those two and, and get away some you know cheeky little kicks that can be damaging. All righty, anything else to say on this matchup before we get into predictions, boys? Uh, I was just going to ask, um, I didn't watch the Sharks versus Raiders game. Yeah, yeah. Which, does Moylan or Townsend, which side do they play defensively? Do we, I think do Moylan we plays that? right edge. Okay. I, I believe. That plays right into exactly what I want to talk about in the predictions. <laughs> All righty. So moving on, let's start with um the absent Hamish, the podcast glorious leader. Um, as I said, he's obviously out of action today due to uh, the rising water levels out west. So he has gone with the the big man at centre who's come into the starting lineup in Hakuna Murata. That's his first try scorer. So backing the the back rower come centre to crash over one way or another, and he's going for a solid Eels victory, twenty six to twelve. Um, and now next, Bertie, what do you got, mate? Well, I'm not used to going second. I'm usually going first. No, I'm, mixing, I'm, mixing, I'm mixing things up, mate. Um, well, I'm going to back our boy, or my boy, Nia Kore. So you're Nia also Kore getting on Hakuna, Hakuna Murata for first try scorer? He's going to run over the less superior Nakora, and <laughs> he's going to find him and run him over. But um, you the, know, the commentators would lose their minds if Nia Kore scored over Nakora. That'd be a there great can be one. only one. Highlander, there can be <laughs> only one. <laughs> um... Well, it'll be interesting to see who the uh, the commentators are because uh, it'll be a bit of a mouthful, you know, on on that edge. But um, yeah, I'm thinking I'm gonna get my Tim Bailey weather app out open. I think we're gonna win thirty two to ten. Ooh. And Shark, no, sorry, thirty two twelve and Townsend to miss all three kicks. <laughs> so you're gonna score three tries on us? Not even oh, the storm. Yeah, but they're gonna be that. they're gonna be all out wide, man. I mean, we're going to feel sorry for them. It's going to be like the 70, 70th minute. That, you know, we're going to take players off. Stoney's going to be playing halfback. Right, <laughs> you know, and they're going to score. But um, uh, yeah, I don't that's, know. that's um, quality, man. I, I just think I think we're just going to be one of those games where we'll be in control the whole time and comfortable, and like we'll be just at a jabbing distance from them. You know, like oh, don't mean to say that jab, but um, we won't. Like they're, they're not going to get cl- close to us. As soon as they score a try, we'll put two on them. Okay. If that makes sense. And, okay. Ham, what do you got, mate? You had something big lined up for me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you want to talk about big? You want to talk about big? Big Junior Paulo. I'm going to be first try scorer. Three from three from the big man. I reckon he's going to – that's why I asked about Matt Moylan, Chad Townsend, which side they defend. On that side, you're going to have Matt Moylan, Connor Tracy defending next to each other with 
Britain Okora. All very small players, especially between Tracy and uh, Moylan there. Not noted defenders in that in that instance. So no, sir. Reedy's going to be jumping out of dummy half and he's going to be putting on the same play that he did for Junior to score the second try against the Storm. Uh, big Junior will be, uh, even if he doesn't score the first, I reckon he's going to score another one. And uh, David Middleton will have to come out and tell us the last time a prop has scored three tries in three games. Uh, um, probably Ryan James, funnily enough. Could have been. I don't he, did go on, he did go on a tear as a try scoring prop a couple of years back. Um, and then the score, Parramatta 24 to the Sharks 8. Nice. That's a good solid win. Um, yeah, I've I've gone for some of the bigger boys, I think, in my, my FTS picks last couple of rounds. So I'm going to go with Quinton Gufferson this week. Seeing the small cap- ball. Yeah, small. <laughs> the, the Captain small ball, even though Guffo's won 90 centimetres. You know. Oh, but also I was going to say, I wouldn't call Gutho small ball. He's, uh, <laughs> the king, I saw baby. that photo. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we talking about the captain's launch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he, give it show, he did his show. Did, you, did you see someone tagged um, NRL physio about that? <laughs> and asked him like what medical condition that is. <laughs> Qual- quality, quality shit posting on Twitter. you got to respect that. Um, so I'm going the captain, Quentin Gufferson, the crash over um, down the left, most likely. But... Um, and uh, I'm going to pick a big win. If the conditions are favourable, I think the Eels will go 38-6. So very, very big win. Probably unlikely, but I want to see a big win at Bank West under the dry conditions. And, um, yeah, uh, make sure you get out there. Um, the 10,000, 10,500 got out there on Thursday night. Um, that's a good shout-out because there was, A, Thursday night games suck in general, and, B, uh, the weather was absolutely atrocious. So I'll, I'll give the Bank West faithful... Uh, a pass mark for Thursday night, but I do want to see a packed house or a nearly packed house on Saturday night. For um, Absolutely. You've got no excuse. You've got two grades of footy mm-hmm. coming off a huge win on the Melbourne Storm. Going to be good weather, Saturday night, 7.30. What more could you want? Exactly. Parramatta win. That's more that's what we could want. No, that, that's, that, that is a big thing, yes. Yeah. So a good Parramatta win out of that would be fantastic. And on that bombshell, boys, I think we're just about done here. Um, we're well over an hour on the run sheet, an hour 14, actually. So... Um, we'll get out of here and catch you guys next week with hopefully a victory under the um, in the books for the Eels. See you later. Later. Go the Eels. <laughs>